He's not ashamed of being in love with you. He's not bashful about being in love with us. Whew. You know, I, I think sometimes we just need to sit and think about his love towards us. Now, I, I've shared in the past, don't try and figure it out because you can't figure it out. You can think about it, but just rejoice in it because there's nobody that you know that loves you like he loves you. Amen? Woo. All right, this morning I want to talk to you about memorials, but I want to start off with altars. And then with that, you'll see a theme that runs through this, and then you'll see it in Marty and John's lives as well. Um, and the first altar that we really have is actually the second one, but we're going to look at Genesis chapter 8, please. Genesis chapter 8. And I'll tell you, it's so exciting to be here and to see all that God is doing, to see what he's doing in the natural for us uh, with our bodies. Aren't you glad that he's a God that heals and that he, he hasn't changed his mind? Whew. Genesis chapter 8. Hey, yeah, and pastor, by the way, Bill was supposed to pray for you and you ended up praying for him. What's up? I guess that's the way life goes sometimes. Genesis chapter 8, and this is the story of uh, Noah. He built the ark, the flood came, and then, you know, in our minds we think, okay, well, when the rain stops, he's getting out, but that's not what happened. He had to wait some more time in the ark with the animals until everything dried, and then we're coming to the place where God tells him he can get out. It's dry, and so this is Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelt the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down from Strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. And we'll stop there. Aren't you glad? There's a promise there. And, you know, we're trying to mess things up, but God says, no, this is the way it's going to be. But it's interesting to me that right away, as Noah steps out of the ark, the first thing that he does is to build an altar before the Lord. And then it was pleasing unto the Lord. And um, that's just a testimony of the life that Noah lived. And it's amazing to me. In Genesis chapter 12. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 12. Uh, this is God calling Abram. And he says this in verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. 
When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at this place, to the oak of Moriah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So here's the beginning of the promise. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Isn't that amazing how God calls him away. He, he heads out, comes to this place, and the Lord tells him, to your offspring I will give this land. And immediately, Abram's first response is to build an altar before the Lord. Because these altars are altars of remembrance. They're altars of sacrifice unto the Lord. And it's really an altar reminding not only Noah and Abram and us, but it's a reminder of God's goodness and His faithfulness to us and the love that He has for us. Verse 8 says, From there He moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Wow. And so I, I want to encourage you this morning, that even as we get into it, and it's still early, to figure out what altars can you build before the Lord? Because God is always doing amazing things in our lives. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 26, please. Genesis 26. This is dealing with Isaac now. And Isaac is Abraham and Sarah's son. He's the son of promise. Genesis 26 verse 23 says this. From there he went up to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. Now what a wonderful promise. And here we have this incredible promise. But notice the response that Isaac has. He says in verse 20, or this is what he does in verse 25. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. Isn't that awesome? God appears to Isaac and, and you know, I shared earlier this year about Abraham and Isaac and being offered up on the, uh, as a sacrifice. This isn't Isaac's first encounter of an altar. He has seen his father have a lifestyle of building altars before the Lord because of the way that God was involved in his life. And so this isn't a strange thing, but it's a common thing that, that Isaac is, has learned from his father that when God speaks to you, when God appears to you, build him an altar. Worship him. Honor him. And they were having problems with wells around there they were having some disputes and so 
that's why this little sentence is at the end. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. God is faithful. God is so faithful. Genesis chapter 28. This is Jacob on the run. It says, Genesis 28.10. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night. Because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in the place of sleep. And he dreamed. Everybody say, he dreamed. And he dreamed, and beheld, and behold, there was a ladder set up on earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Whoo! Isn't that awesome? Now look, I'm just here to tell you. If it happened for Jacob, if he made this promise to Jacob, he's making it to us as well. And it sounds very similar to uh, Philippians chapter 1. I think it's verse 6. That he who began a good work in us will complete it. Until the day of Jesus Christ. And here he is telling them that he's going to accomplish his work. Everything that I promise, I'm going to do it in you. Isn't that awesome? And that's for us today as well. Verse 16 says, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate. Of heaven. Woo. Isn't that awesome? Now it goes on and I'm just pausing here because he woke up from his dream. And it says this in verse 18. If you continue in this chapter, Genesis 28, 18, it says, So early in the morning. Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. Isn't that awesome? He had a dream. He, he's out wandering in a sense. There's going to be some other places that he's going to land before they come back here. And he has this dream, and so he anoints the stone that was his pillow. Mm. Verse 19, he called the name of that place Bethel 
but the name of the city was Luz at, at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give you a full tenth to you. And so he changes the name of the place. It's called Bethel. And Bethel means holy place or house of God. Isn't that awesome? And this is between an altar and a memorial that Jacob is presenting before the Lord here. Have you seen the common theme here? Do I need to point it out? All right, I'll point it out in a minute. This is more of Genesis 35. And as they journeyed, a tear from God fell upon the cities that were around them so that they did not pursue the sons of Jacob because Jacob's coming back to his father or to his brother and where they were. And Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan. He and all his uh, and all the people were with him. And there he built an altar and called the place El Bethel because there God had revealed himself to him when he fled from his brother. And so he's back at the place. He's remembering what God did when he was fleeing from his brother. He remembers how God met him there, how God spoke to him, how God had made promises to him, and how when he's coming back to this place, he's saying, God, you've kept your promise. I've come back. Hallelujah. What an awesome God. The common theme is God working with a man or a woman. God is looking for a person to hook up with, to cooperate with. He's looking for somebody that would say, yes, Lord, here I am. And then as they do this, as you see God working and and the man working, then there's an altar. There's an altar of remembrance. There's an altar of uh, honor before the Lord. And you see this theme throughout all of these that we're talking with. You see it in the life of Marty and John as, as we're going to get to that. You see how they are just simple people and yet God has spoken to them and they responded to God. And then their lives became a testimony to God. We're going to turn the corner just a little bit, but in Exodus chapter 12, if you'll turn there with me, please. Exodus chapter 12. This is the instruction about Passover as they're getting ready to leave Egypt and they have to put blood on the doorpost and the death angel is going to pass over. And so he says in Exodus 12 verse 14, this day, if I say this day, 
This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. As a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. And so I just want to encourage you, we're graduating from individuals to now a nation, because this is the nation of Israel that God is bringing out of Egypt. And yet he's instituting this as a memorial. The, the day of Passover is going to be a memorial to them. For us, it has become communion because it's all symbolic of Christ shedding his blood on the cross. Amen? And so in Exodus chapter 13, we see this, and he's giving them instructions concerning celebrating the Passover. Exodus 13, 8. You, tell, you shall tell your sons on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statue at its appointed time from year to year. And, and so... This is just a reminder, and we're kind of jumping in the middle of it, but there, the answer is, the question is that he just answered is, when we do this, what are we doing for our children? And the Lord's telling them, you're doing this as a memorial for me so that they will remember me, so that they will know that with a strong hand, I brought you out of Egypt. And so here's the memorial, the first time, not the first time, but. And then if you'll turn with me to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. One more. And if you know the story, Moses delivers them out of Egypt. They don't have the faith to go into the promised land yet. And so they have to spend 40 years. Moses dies. Joshua is taking over. And the Lord's instructing him. But to get to the promised land, there's something in the way. And that something in the way is called the Jordan River. And so we find ourselves in Joshua chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It said, and so what they did to get into the promised land, they crossed over the Jordan. So the Lord split that river as well. So here we have it in Joshua 4.1. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men, from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do these those stones mean to you. Then you shall tell them 
that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And so they walked over dry ground. And remember the priest had to go first. They had to step out in faith first. The Jordan was in flood stage as well. But it didn't matter to God. He just parted it. They walk over. They pull these rocks out, these stones out as a memorial. So that they can begin to rehearse with their children what God had done. And when we establish memorials, we're able to remind ourselves, but we're also able to remind the generations to come behind us the faithfulness of God, the love of God, the goodness and the kindness of God, the mercy of God as we walked with Him. And so we have planted two oak trees on the church property to remind us of the faith of Marty Burgett and John Keenis and the faithfulness of their God to them and their faithfulness to their God. Marty, she came to New Life Family Church one month after we arrived. Marty was a prayer warrior and a pillar, not only for us personally and personally and not only for us as a church, but for all that she met. When she met you, then you became part of her prayer list. Marty, in her prayer time, contended to see God be glorified. If you knew Marty, you would think that Marty was quiet, maybe even shy and private. And she was quiet in one sense. She was shy. And she was private in a sense. But all of that also caused her to be very mighty with God. Because Marty never needed the attention and she never sought it. Marty was very content with being behind the scenes. When we had her memorial earlier in February, most of y'all didn't even know some of the stuff that she did. But we got to know her because we became her family. And thank God. But it's because she didn't need the attention and she didn't have to be seen. She didn't have to be heard. She became powerful for God. Her life theme was, with Jesus, there is hope. And before the day of cell phones, when we had answer machines for landlines, that would be her, the end of her message. With Jesus, there is hope. If you called her cell phone, then it was at the end. If you didn't get her, with Jesus, there is hope. Because that's the way she lived. Marty loved people. And not just those in the church, even though she did love the people of the church. But she just loved God's people she would make phone calls to them and she would talk to them and she would encourage them she would be concerned about their needs and she would pray for them not only for those in the church but those that she worked with and those that were her family she would send greeting cards out for encouragement she would send birthday cards out she would send cards out just to encourage you just to let you know that somebody was thinking about you. 
She would send cards out for joy just because she loved you. Until she stopped sending them out because she couldn't write anymore. And we tried to send them out for her. Between me and Carrie, we were always buying her stamps. And towards the end, before she left her house on Brick Street, you know, the uh, post office would send you an envelope, or she requested, I don't know which one it happened, but she had all these envelopes, and every week, me or Carrie had to make sure that she ordered her stamps. She had stock in stamp company. They should be able to pay all their bills with as many stamps as she used. And if you knew Marty, you knew Marty was a cat lover. And for us personally, we are so thankful that Marty was a cat lover because we inherited a cat one day from Diana's brother who went to her mom and then came to us. And uh, we loved our cat. If you have a cat, We'll like your cat. I can't promise you we'll love your cat. But Marty loved all cats. And we are so grateful we didn't inherit a dog because since she loved cats, she cared for Spooky a little bit better than we did. And when we needed help, we always called her, and she would take care of Spooky. So, And Marty loved the Word of God. She studied it. She taught it. She lived it. And because of that, she was blessed by God, and she was a blessing. In her own quiet way. And as we were doing this, and this one I got help with Diana, it so amazes us how we're planting these trees, we're remembering Marty, we're remembering John Keenis, because these are totally two different and opposite people. Because John Keenis was not quiet. He was not shy, and he was not private. John was rough and tough, and when he was younger, he had been through a lot, and he had caused a lot. But it was in such an amazement, the life that John lived before Christ and the life that John lived after Christ. Because of the difference, John experience, went from experiencing no Jesus to knowing Jesus. And John wanted everyone to experience that knowing of Jesus and knowing the love that God has for us. John was relentless in trying to get people to see the need for Jesus and then transferring that to a place of placing their faith in Jesus and resting in the love that Jesus has for all of us. John's life was a billboard for what God can do for somebody who will trust in Him. It shocks me, even to this day, some of the people that will come up and tell me how they knew John before he knew Christ. And the things that they used to do, and I would have to go like this. and I don't want to hear it. John proudly displayed Jesus to everybody who would listen. 
And there's stories of him taking the time to go and share the love of Jesus with people. The Holy Spirit and John did an incredible job becoming an amazing man of God in the spiritual realm, but also in the natural realm. John gave to God whatever he had in his hand. And they together, John and God, they did wonders with it. And it's such an awesome testimony. John's passions changed to having such godly desires that he wanted everybody to experience that. And if you knew John, part of his desire was music. John loved music, but after coming to know the Lord, he loved good Christian music, and he tried to get others to love it like he did. And again, he would go to every Christian concert in the sound of it, the voice. If he had to drive three hours, he would drive three hours. It didn't matter to him. And if he could take somebody with him, he would take somebody with him because he wanted them to experience God. When John and Kim were looking to get married, they came to us and, and John was adamant about this because he wanted premarital counseling because they wanted to get it right. They wanted to do it right. They wanted to make sure that they were in line with all that God had. And they gave themselves to us and, and we worked through things with them and stuff. And it was awesome. What an incredible testimony. And this was important to John and to Kim because they wanted to honor God with their marriage. Because God had saved him and set him free. But not only that, but John knew about discipline. As he became free, not just in the Lord, but through Alcoholics Anonymous and, and all the steps and all the disciplines that they have to do, John became very regiment because he didn't want to fall back. He wanted to continue to pursue all that God had for him. And so he disciplined his life. And probably to a fault because whenever he sponsored somebody or whenever he saw somebody in need through the different classes that he would go to, he would take the time to make sure that they, would, that they were there, that he would encourage them to, to do the disciplines as well because he knew that the disciplines would help. Now, disciplines alone don't save you, but John had the, the power of the Holy Spirit living in him, and so together that made John become a powerful person, a powerful testimony. So we have two totally different people and their personalities, and yet they honored God so powerfully through their lives as they walked in the new life that Jesus Christ offers and as they walked with the Holy Spirit. And I just want to encourage you this morning that it's a privilege to honor and establish these trees as memorials in their honor. When we drive up, May they be a reminder of God's love. May they be a reminder to us. May they be memorials to us that if God could do this in Marty and John's life, then He can do it in our life. He can do it in our children's lives. He can do it in this community. He can do it in this uh, 
state. He can do it in the United States. That God is not dead. He is alive. Amen? All right. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to pray here. And then we're going to make our way out to the trees. But before we do that, Debbie's going to come and share. Because she's the one that knows about these trees and where they're planted. And she has secrets that are going to be revealed now. Yes, you withheld them from us. I just got to tell you, can you hear me? Okay. The Holy Spirit is guiding this entire um, service today. There are things that have been revealed both through the music that we sang and Pastor's Word that ties in perfectly with what the Holy Spirit laid upon my heart. When we went to plant these two trees, <laughs> it was kind of a joint decision. And um, we set John's, well, well, which I came to know would be John's memorial tree, out near the entrance. It's right out near the road, the driveway, as you come in. And according to what Pastor just said, that is perfect. Holy Spirit, we thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> because John welcomes you. He is excited to see you, to bring you in. And also, he, he is a, a sentinel there at the, the uh, driveway of the church. He is looking down the road for you. He is looking for people who he, he can share Jesus with. But the word that came to my mind um, when I was planting the tree and, and thinking about John was the word gatekeeper. And this applies not only to his thoughts toward other people, but also what Pastor was saying, how when um, John came to know Jesus, he was very disciplined. He was a gatekeeper. He knew he had to separate himself from certain people, certain situations, certain attitudes, to keep himself in line with God's plan for his life. And so, um, so John is the gatekeeper, and that's why the tree is planted out near the driveway of the church. Also, uh, there was one other thing I was going to say. Um, I don't know, but, but we, need, we need, as a memorial... Every time we see that tree, we drive in the driveway and see that tree, we need to ask God to make us gatekeepers. What do we need to give up? What do we need to separate ourselves from? What do we need to make a decision as to what we're going to allow in and what we're not going to allow in? Okay? Oh, and the other, the other thing is, um, in keeping with that separating yourself John's tree is kind of out there. It's kind of out by himself. <laughs> but he's a welcoming presence. So that's John's tree. Now Marty's tree, on the other hand, is planted in the lawn, uh, pretty much straight out this window. And as I was thinking about Marty um, and this tree, how when, once it gets big, now these trees are really dinky right now, but they are going to be mighty oaks. <laughs> and uh, 
when it grows, it's going to shade the sanctuary here. The, the tree will shade the sanctuary. And the image that I got was how on the um, Ark of the Covenant, there were two cherubim carved, and they were on either side of the mercy seat, and they were bowing in adoration, and, they, and their wings, their wings stretched up and covered the mercy seat, just the same way that this tree will shade the sanctuary and bring honor and glory to God Marty, who was a prayer warrior and a worshiper, that's, that's, that's what I think of, is that cherubim just, just pouring out pure adoration to God and the mercy seat and providing shelter and shade, which is kind of odd because, you know, we, we talk about being sheltered under the wings under God's wings, under his protection. He shelters us. But what a privilege to provide shade for him, to, I don't know, to give back. And so we're reminded to be gatekeepers, and we're reminded to be worshipers. And that's why the trees are planted where they are. Amen. And here are the plaques. And this one says, in memory of John Keenest, he truly loved God, his wife, family, and people. And then his life verses, John eleven twenty five to 26. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he die. And then this one is in memory of Marty Lou Burgett. And we had to put Lou in because we always called her Marty Lou. Her middle name was Lee, but she became known as Lou. And same thing with Betty, Betty Jean. It's Betty Lou. It's not Betty Jean, even though that's what's on her birth certificate. So she knows that when we call, it's going to be Betty Lou. So in memory of Marty Lou Burger, prayer warrior, life verse, Psalm 42, 1 to 2. As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. And that is definitely Marty. Now, we're going to make our way out, so if you need to get your sunglasses or anything like that, feel free to do that. Um, Debbie, do we know which tree you want to go to first? All right. All right, we'll go to Marty's first, which is going to be in the over here north of the parking lot. Um, we have a song that we're going to play for each one as we place the plaques there. 